cliffcentral.com. Peter Bogosian is a friend of the show, and I think someone who's well-known enough to our audience at this point, um, somebody who has an amazing point of view on so many different things that it's never, ever boring to sit and talk to him. For as many minutes as I can get him, I like to, uh, to tie him down to talk to us in different time zones, but that doesn't seem to be a problem. He's a philosopher, an author, a father, and so much more. Peter Bogosian, it's such a pleasure to welcome you back to my show. It is. Of talking to you the pleasure is entirely my own i've when we've had conversations i've i've been at um you know my my father died my mother died I've, and i've been very sick i've suffered from crohn's disease so i've been at some interesting points in my life and i've cherished our conversation so i'm looking forward to this one well i have to say despite all of those things which life has thrown at you you've um you've remained uh someone who who i just i find very inspiring to talk to and i think this time round, maybe more than any of the other times that we've spoken in the in the midst of the most woke of times, yeah. I think we've got some glimmers of hope going on at the moment. And I've I've seen how active you've become again on Twitter. I haven't yet. I'm still waiting to see what the landscape delivers. But right up front, I mean, you released a bunch of videos recently expl- explaining some words, which I thought was really helpful. Even today, a bunch of people on on social media were asking what woke even means. Right. And it's so great that we've got this library of videos where you actually explain some of these things to us in the language of both the left and people who've never ever uh, spoken that kind of language. Yeah. Translations from wokeish. So just a little, <laughs> little background, like English wokeish, a little background. Right. So after I resigned my position at Portland State University and I had a job for life, I had continuous employment. So it was it was a, it was a uh, it wasn't exactly a gilded cage, but the place had become a kind of insane asylum where mm-hmm. people were utterly utterly beholden to an ideology for not only for which there was no evidence, but for which core tenets of the ideology actually conflicted with evidence. And something just came out again about trigger warnings. Uh, there, yeah. there, there's basically not only there's no, there's no evidence, but could actually uh, injure people or make them more psychologically fragile. So anyway, so I started a nonprofit and the whole goal of this, the North Star is to move the needle and to make, to, to move the needle on the current. So let's, let's even take a step back from that. So our society, when I say our society, I, I don't just mean the United States or even the Anglosphere, the English speaking world. Society is currently beholden by simultaneous multiple mass delusions. Mm-hmm. And this is no, I've been screaming about this since 2012. This is no small feat to solve. I, I just came across something the other day, and then I'm going to get into what you, you talked about directly. It was the number of times, I saw this on Twitter, the number of times the N-word has been used pre and post Musk. There's no evidence for this whatsoever. Zero evidence. It's just a meme someone's created. And the people who want to believe that, that there's more racism and misogyny, et cetera, are just pumping out this meme because it accords with what they already believe. But there's simply right. no evidence for this. But that's, to, to me, it's a very interesting way about how our mind works. We seek confirmatory pieces of evidence. We want to confirm what we believe, and then we want to push it out there so other people believe like we believe. So anyway, to the word. So we started making videos 
I think that YouTube is a, is a new Gutenberg press. It's a new way to reach people that's, it's, it's an unbelievable vehicle to reach people. So we made videos to translate wokish words. We made videos about colleges of education. I'm talking a lot, but I'll just be quick. One of the reasons that this ideology has been so pervasive and has been able to capture so many institutions is, and it's going to sound so simple, but it's just true. It's that they've done this through manipulating the meanings of ordinary words. And when you understand that, you understand diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, Mm -hmm. all of these These, words. These words do not belong to the definitions that we thought they belonged to, the dictionary definitions. And it's funny you should even mention that because just today I saw that one of the dictionaries has redefined the term woman. Cambridge, correct. Cambridge. And uh, and of course, all they're doing is creating this, this endless, repetitive and circular argument of, you know, a woman is anybody who identifies as a female, but they don't then define female. So female will be anyone who identifies as a woman. And so you have this infinite regression. It just doesn't seem to be uh, a very honest way of anybody doing business. The whole purpose right. of language, the whole purpose of language, and I think you'll agree with me here, is so that we can have more clarity with each other, so that we can understand each other better. It seems that the, 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 the determination of the woke people is to make language as cloudy and obfuscatory as possible, to make it impossible for us to communicate honestly and clearly with each other, and in so doing, to implement some sort of, I don't know what their, their end goal is, but it seems to me to be wholly destructive. It's not, it's not there, is no, there is no end game from right. their point of view that results in, in good things for most people. Right. Or am I... it, no, you're right. It's to dismantle and disrupt. And we'll talk about that. But this language thing is utterly fascinating to me. So it went from changing the meanings of ordinary words, uh, safety, uh, race, mm-hmm. woman. Mm-hmm. Now enough woke people, they've been indoctrinated by the ideology and in, uh, university systems for long enough that they're, they're, literally position themselves to change the meanings of words in dictionaries. That is an astonishing. Okay. So when you change the meanings of words in dictionaries, what are you actually doing? Well, one of the things you're actually doing is that's how we adjudicate what a word means. We go to a dictionary. If we have a dispute, there are implications for saying that someone who self identifies as and lives as a woman is an actual woman and gets treated with, and I just want to, as in every single one of these conversations, I have to say what I'm confident that you believe, and I don't want to if, if push back on me if I'm incorrect. Trans people should be entitled to live their life freely and without bigotry or hatred or, or discrimination of any kind, and, and they should be able to have their gender identity expressed in any way. They sleep with whoever they want. It's irrelevant to me. As should, but, as should any people in the world. I don't think 100%. You and I have an argument. There may be people out there who are opposed to, to, to those very basic humanitarian and secular concepts, but we're not here to talk to them. And I don't think that they're particularly interested uh, in hearing from us anyway. Uh, yeah. So. No, a hundred percent. I think that every conversation has to lead with that. So, so, but you're talking about something else. You're talking about when someone has an M or an F on their driver's license, for example, and they get pulled over for yeah. drunk driving. They, they, there are certain things that are entailed by that. What jail they go to? Do they, are they housed with yeah. men or are they housed with women? There are certain, so, so these are, these are not academic problems when we're talking about language. 
this has a very real consequence women in sports men in sports trans men in sports women in uh, people who were born biologically male in rape shelters these have very very real consequences for the world i, I someone just told me the other day that that you, so he he's in he's in a um he does a lot of uh, work with the police they don't want to use the word people in the community don't want to use the word gang anymore Instead, they want to use the word group. So think about this for a second. We, I had a, <laughs> this is so crazy. So part of the problem with that is, well, the first thing is the, the reason for that is they think that that's racial. Now, I, I don't know about you, but when I hear gang, I don't associate it with black or Asian or Jew. I just, it is no, for me personally, there's not. And if there was, I'd, I'd say something, but. I mean- wasn't there just a, a, a very popular TV series? I forget the name of it with a whole bunch of British gangsters from the 1920s in it who, who were all white, as far as I could tell, unless oh. they decided to wokeify that and throw in one or two black people. But I don't yeah, associate yeah. those gangs. Remember the movie, The Gangs of New York? Also, not about black people at all. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? And, and, uh, so, so, okay. So let's, let's just, let's just run with that for a second. No, so our gang is, now gang is racist, supposedly. Yeah, gang, gang, gang is a race word. So they want to use the word group. The problem with using the word group is that groups—they're just different words. Not all, almost no groups of people are gangs. And so they are are non-overlapping magisteria in some cases. Yes, that's that's correct. Can I? Because it's so it's so hard for me to to hold back and not kind of go in every direction with you. There's so much I I, I, I know I feel the same way. Yeah. So as a professor of philosophy, before you you quit your job there, and and I think it was it was a major major thing when you did. Um, Barry Weiss wrote about it. It was it was a big story across the United States. You really stood for principle there, and. As a professor of philosophy, a person who'd really dedicated their life to not only studying all of that, but teaching it, was there ever a period in philosophical history, going all the way back to Solon and Socrates and Aristotle, has there ever been a point where people sought to undermine language in the way that we've discussed today? Yeah, there there was. That's the early postmodernists, the French postmodernists did, Derrida, Derrida in particularly in particular, actually, um, Lyotard, the, the early French postmodernist, Helen Pluckrose had a great piece in Aereo, um, how French intellectuals destroyed the West. But what we're seeing now is the legacy of that tradition from the French in the 70s and the 80s and a little bit to the 90s, but uh, in the 60s to a very small extent. But what we're seeing now is the legacy of that. And so... Uh, it's been Helen Pluckrose calls it applied postmodernism. So the original postmodernist had these ideas about reality and what you can know and subjectivity. And then that weaseled its way into the university when people started studying this. That's the other thing that I've come to think about recently, how um, the universities have not just, the gatekeepers of knowledge have not just fallen. They've betrayed some fundamental principles about what it means to uphold truth and reason and to think honestly about a problem but yeah so that's the answer all of the stuff that we're seeing now comes from the french intellectuals so so why would those things that you just listed matter why would things like (laughs) truth 
and, and honest definitions for words, because maybe there are people I, I'm trying to be charitable in my, sure, sure. in my, in my attempt to understand why great swathes of supposedly the smartest people in the most important colleges in the Western world would subject themselves to this sort of corruption and be completely comfortable with it. I'm, I'm going to be charitable and say, is it important? Are we not attaching ourselves to concepts that have just lived past their time? And maybe it is time for us to open ourselves up to the idea that there is no such thing as objective truth, that it is all about my or your or anyone else's truth. And how would that, in your opinion, either aid or undermine society? Okay, so that's a huge question. So the first thing, why is truth important? Truth is important because if you want to lead a better life, not only do you have to be honest about the nature of the problem, but you also, if you want to construct situations outside yourself that bring about your flourishing, you have to base what you believe on what's true. One false belief, you know, some somebody... I was obviously religious examples come to mind, but I'm trying not to use those not to use those right now. One false belief at the pillars of your belief system causes you to create and change situations in your external reality that make you think that you're bringing yourself and your community closer to flourishing, but you're actually not because you have a false belief. And again, I was thinking about a religious proposition, you know, like, not eating pork or the, the testimony of a woman should be half that of a man or, or right. what have you. Okay. But your other question is extremely interesting. So, and I, I spent a lot of time thinking about this and immersed in this. Here's the problem. And I wrote about this. I published a piece on this in the philosopher's magazine called deluded departments, which my colleagues were utterly incensed about. Oh yeah. So, so here's the problem. The problem is, and this again gets back to the, our conversation about words and what, what words mean. Smarter people are better at rationalizing. This is Michael Shermer's instinct. Uh, Michael Shermer wrote about this in The Believing Brain. He's a, um, a skeptic. He's written a, a number of books. He's a wonderful thinker. The smarter you are, the better you are at coming up with conclusions to bad ideas. So that's why smart people believe weird things. If you get groups of smart people together, they become even better at rationalizing bad ideas. In other words, with coming up with good reasons for bad ideas. When you, when you look in what's happening now is in academia in particular, you cannot seven articles in seven years get you tenure. You, uh, you know, provided you have a few basic other things like you actually show up for class, et cetera. But the big thing is publishing. So seven articles in seven years, you're much less likely to get a piece published if it runs against the dominant moral orthodoxy. So for example, if you say, I don't think trans women are uh, women and, and you kind of construct an argument. And this has happened over and over. The famous example is Rebecca Tuvel, who said if somebody who published a piece and attempted to publish a piece in Hypatia, who said if people can identify as a different gender, why can't they identify as a different race? Different okay. Race. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the, so the issue is then 
and, and stop me if at any time this at any point this becomes unclear because it's complicated. So seven papers in seven years gets gets you tenure, gets you a job for life. But you can't publish seven. You can't publish almost anything unless you write something that up, upholds the dominant moral orthodoxy. You write something that's morally fashionable, and when you write something that's morally fashionable. Other people build upon that literature. So we've created entire veins of scholastic thought in which it's all a house of cards. People think that the, that these things are true. They teach it to the students. The students feed it back to the instructor. They're marked wrong if they don't give the right answer to the question. And so we've created, this is like an ideology mill. It's like a machination. It's a machine of ideology reproduction. And that's what's happening in our institutions and our universities right now. Well, I mean, this is something that you and I have spoken about before, I think on both my TV show and here, where we talked about the, the incredible work that that you and two of your colleagues, you mentioned Helen Pluckrose already and James Lindsay being the other one, the three of you handed all these bullshit papers in to various universities and had them immediately regaled and, and observed as being uh, extraordinarily breakthrough and, and all the rest of it only to ultimately reveal to these universities that you were making this stuff up because you could see how to work the system and that the system is broken. This now, system is irrevocably broken. Correct. Now, now if these are the people who have been teaching those who are now going to enter the workforce, who are already in the workforce, the people who are going to enter government, make decisions for where society is headed. And they've got these poisonous concepts and this complete lack of regard for things like truth correct then we we start seeing the breakdown that i was talking about earlier and and this the reason that you are uncomfortable perhaps i don't want to put words in your mouth about bringing up religious counter arguments is that very often religion is disregarded as a philosophy that has also lived past its time that a lot of religion carries with it all kinds of dogma and you know unscientific irrational, unreasonable stuff that post the Enlightenment people don't look very favorably upon. But some of that stuff, Milton, uh, you know, Francis of Assisi, some of that stuff is probably the best antidote to this woke stuff, even if it's religious. And I say that as an, as an, as an atheist, as someone who doesn't believe. Yeah. Do you think, do you think that that, because I mean, if I've had any realization in the last while, it's, that the people who are religious, be they, you know, Jews, Muslims, Christians, whoever they may be, at very least have some sort of value backbone, which can be relied upon to drive them in the direction of truth, as opposed to those people who do not have any such system of belief and will merely go whichever way the woke wind blows. And it worries me tremendously on that front. But I think maybe the religious people are now more my allies than my enemies. Yeah, it's a, it's a funny, I published a piece about that called Culture War 2.0. It's a, it's a funny situation in which we find ourselves. I agree with everything you said, except for one word that you used. You used the word truth. And I don't think it's a matter of truth. I think it's a matter of social cohesion. So if you have a, uh, uh, an old quote unquote old religion, a traditional religion, Christianity, mm-hmm. Islam, Judaism, the, there, there are edicts for how to have society cohere and how to 
whether or not you 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 believe in whether in the the truth of those is irrelevant they work and so there's something about that i think that the this is called the substitution hypothesis and then i'll share one of the things i've been thinking about this there are is the default state just belief we want to believe something we want to believe anything so let's just make sure that people believe more more benign things you know in in when when they bring people off of the battlefields particularly isis folks one of the things they do to deconvert them is they don't teach them that islam is bullshit or that um you know they shouldn't believe this nonsense no nobody flew to heaven on a winged horse or whatever no they bring in more benign interpretations of islam to try to convince people that the more fundamentalist is a is a word imported from the protestants but these more uh, canonical interpretations particularly of the latter part of this of islamic scripture where all the nasty stuff is so i think it's i think it's really important and i've said a lot but so this is, i'm gonna stop is that clear so far yeah, yeah yeah look i think people who care are following i think if you've if you've decided that this is all too uh, complex, then then perhaps you're just not as interested as Peter and I are, and and that's fine. Then don't listen. We're not catering to everybody here. We're trying to explain and discuss things that I think are are, are really worthy of discussion and may require that we lose some of the audience along the way. It's like going into battle, so don't worry about it. Okay, okay. So I think okay. So I think that there's a a profound difference between saying that. You know, the subjective turn that we're seeing now, it is my lived experience or I feel this way or so when you do that and, and traditional religious people and ironically, the more quote unquote fundamentalist, the more a literal interpretation of scripture that one has, the less one is likely to do that, the, the less one turns to lived experience. Now, it is certainly true that Christians used the testimony of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and you, uh, as, often, you often hear a lot of Christians saying that they have a personal relationship with God, hmm. and that's why they're Christians, which is much more like the whole lived experience argument. Correct. Correct. And, correct. And that's why I've, I've predicted for almost a decade now that future versions of proselytization won't turn toward those subject, subjective uh, experiences. So the, the pro- one of the, the problems with su- the subjectivity, and again, remember, Almost all of the woke stuff has a kernel of truth in it. Almost all of it. So, yeah. and then they take that kernel of truth and they go to crazy land or they, 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 they go to madness and they try to institutionalize that madness. Well, it's um, like a, a flat earth tell you, well, you know, there's this and you'll go, wow, that's actually a good point. And before you know it, you're starting to listen to the flat earther as if they're a saying, but <laughs> right. right. Mm. Yeah. So I, so, so we have a problem here in which our institutions have been captured by people. Oh, the lights! Did the lights just go on? Um, That's my lights. Yeah, thank you. Uh, okay. So, <laughs> so we thank God. Not, not ironic. <laughs> right. Okay. So we have a problem um, when our institutions have been captured. It really, in, in the only institute, the only features of for example american life that haven't been captured by this diversity equity inclusion madness of professional sports teams they have no diversity requirements so one of the one of the things that happens is that people start to lose trust in their institutions they start to lose trust in their journals and academic scholarship they they start Mm -hmm. to lose trust in 
almost everything you could think of, you know, I think it was uh, American Airlines wants to have diversity requirements. Okay. So I used to believe that or the only the or just for the stuff, the, 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 the unfortunately for the pilots, right? Oh, so, right. So, okay. so, yeah. so I, I used to think that the only reason somebody would want diversity in something like diversity in I don't know, philosophy department is because they thought it wasn't important. And then, right. and then I said, well, no one would want that for brain surgery or in medicine or in uh, for their pilots. But it turned out that the that ideological creep was so pervasive that now it's in medicine. Now it's in, you know, fire department hiring. Now it's in the, like every conceivable facet of so, life. This is so interesting. And we're building up to the point where and I'm glad you were the one to bring up religion. But we're building up to this idea that this is actually a substitute religion. But. Before we get there, South Africa already has a, a, a quota system in our sport. Um, some sports more than others, but, but you know, in sports. Most, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're already there. And, and if you want to see what failure looks like, just hang on a little bit because it's been used as an excuse. You know, oh, well, we come out of this, this history of, you know, uh, racial uh, discrimination and apartheid and everything else. And people here are obviously quite sensitive to those things. The, the government that's been in, uh, in, in power for the last 28 years has made it a, a, a priority of theirs to make these what looked like cosmetic changes. So there would be street name changes and, yeah, yeah. you know, kind of, I, I mentioned to you, I think before that there was a movement called Roads Must Fall. At the very yes. beginning of all of this, which started in South Africa, not surprisingly. And I don't want us to take all the blame, but I think we can take some of the credit, in inverted commas, for the genesis of this whole thing. Because that movement sought to almost try to rewrite history like they want to rewrite dictionaries, for example. Right. And to redesign sports teams on an almost cosmetic basis, whether or not they would win or not, that wasn't the most important thing. Now, I mean, I don't know of any group of people who would want to watch a sports game where the team they support does not win because they have not chosen the best people or because they've in principle gone ahead. And this is that ideological creep that you're talking about yeah. and selected people from a specific race or a specific gender or a specific uh, sexuality or ideology or whatever, but but they they they've couched this under the term of inclusion. Well, if they really believe that, why don't they put midgets on basketball teams? Maybe we're heading that way. One, one day, someone will say, "Well, why not?" It's not it's not completely beyond the bounds of <laughs> right of sanity. And that's that that's the problem is that there's no ridiculous restriction anymore, right? But, by, by the way, you you and I have both been cancelled for having the word midget in this discussion because. Oh. <laughs> That's right. At this, at this point, I'm like, I'm, I'm just, I'm beyond any kind of remote cancellation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I stopped caring as well. Bring it on is what I said. Right. <laughs> right. And, but, and but, I, but I want to get to your latest book and I want to talk about where your head's at right now. Okay. So forgive me, forgive me if I'm cutting you short. I really don't like to do that because I, this, this kind of conversation is one that needs space to, sure. you know, to, to start meaning something. You, you were one of the first people, you and probably Douglas Murray. Who started recognizing that this this whole woke movement, whatever you want to call it, this this mass power, delusion, mass delusion. I mean, Gad Sad, who we've also had on the show before, right. uh, identifies it as a kind of mind virus. Yeah, he's a good and friend of mine. That, yeah, that's yeah, he, that's probably one of the better definitions too. Although I've got to give you and, and Douglas Murray credit for this because you started to notice that there were rituals 
associated with this, that there was a, there was a faithful in the center of this. It, it mimics some of the most brutal proto religions that we, Correct. that we, that we can see if we study a little bit of history. And I'm not talking that you don't have to be someone who's, you know, written 2000 page books on the history of religion to pick up on these things. Where did it all start to click for you that this was not just a philosophy, that it was mushrooming into a religion? Yeah, so I published a paper with James Lindsay, with Jim, who's also a good friend of mine, in 2014 called Privilege is the Original Sin. And the thesis was exactly what you think it was, that privilege operates in the same way as original sin does. And you, it was published in a piece at a, a venue that's no longer uh, operating. It's called uh, All Think. So privilege offers an, an uh, operates analogously to original sin. You can't wipe it away. It's a stain. Unlike uh, original sin, you can kind of wash it away through the blood of Christ or, you know, whatever particular religious flavor one happens to believe, accepting Jesus in one's heart or what have you. So some of the things for me were very small things. For example, I would ask people, and I live in the epicenter of this. So I live in Portland and I was teaching at Portland State University, which had become an, just an unbelievable cesspool, like an ideology factory that is just unthinkable. And so I would ask people, you know, what is your evidence for this? And, and, but, but I really watched my tone, like, but I was genuinely curious around 2012. Why do you, you know, why are we making this a policy? Why are we like, I just, I, I honestly don't understand this. And instead Mm -hmm. of saying, well, here's the evidence, people became upset with me and then people became really upset with me. So then I started looking for the evidence myself. So then I started reading the source material. I started reading the literature. I started looking and that's when I understood it was just a massive revelation to me. All of this stuff has been idea laundered. Like it's idea laundered in in other words, it's been um p- people have a moral feeling. They find other people who are in academia who have this moral feeling. They write a paper about it, they publish it, and it out from the other end comes knowledge. And then they're claiming that this stuff is knowledge. So, but it's not knowledge. It's just the musings of ideologues, right? That's all, that's, that's simply all it is. So I think, I think I had a, whether or not you want to think this is good or bad, but I think that living in Portland and being at my former university where people were complete believers, but but that's the other thing. You don't really know who's a complete believer because when you create a culture of fear, nobody's willing to speak up against the orthodoxy and say the emperor has no clothes. So you're not right. really sure who believes this stuff, but it's certainly from their verbal behavior, it certainly appeared as if they were true believers. Do you have any idea while we're on this subject, because there's so many others we have to cross to, but do you have any idea why this is particularly attractive as a philosophy stroke religion to college educated white women, because they seem to be the leading edge, which is so interesting because yeah. actually this is probably one of the most, the least uh, threatened, the, the least oppressed, the most protected groups in Correct. certainly the Western world. I mean, you know, women don't work on oil rigs and go to the, 
the, the army and, 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 you know, fight on the front lines. And despite all the talk about the glass ceiling and, you know, how women in the workplace have a hard time. And yes, there are obviously terrible men who do terrible things to women all the time. But by and large, the white Western college educated woman Correct. has the best kind of living available to any human being in all of recorded history. C- and correct. That, that group is the most intent on shitting all over Western civilization. Why, why do you think that is? Is it guilt? I, I don't, I don't know. I was just talking to James Lindsay about that the other day. I personally don't know. That's a piece of the puzzle I haven't figured out, but so I don't know the answer to that. Wow. Okay. Well, there's an honest answer if ever there was. I, yeah. I, I'm still trying to figure it out too. I think it may have something to do with guilt. I think it may have something to do with, you know, this, this, maybe, maybe it's this passive aggressive stuff that has always yeah. plagued human society. I don't know, but I, I mean, the fact that you also don't know makes me feel a bit better about not having figured it out. Mm. So talking about these, these, your, your latest book. I mean, let's get straight into this because. You are a prolific writer. You mentioned it already in this discussion, a couple of these articles, <clears throat> some of which have been received with huge opprobrium, some of which have cost you friends, <laughs> some definitely of true. cost you jobs, some of which have cost you um, relationships, all kinds of things here. I had an interesting conversation with a friend of mine today, and I said, you know, is it worth it? Because every time someone like you puts pen to paper or does an interview with me or, you know, I pick up a microphone and say something which... I I think is fairly innocuous and it gets me into huge trouble. Yeah. There's a part of me that goes, well, you could just choose to live a happy life. You don't have to fight all these battles. True. Do you often feel like, you know, why am I doing this? Because I I could still have that cushy job where I'd be guaranteed, you know, an income. My kids wouldn't have to worry. Um, I, 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 the house would be paid for. I could have a nice, nice life. Why am I fighting battles that it seems Sometimes the rest of academia anyway are dead against and I'll be fighting them until I'm dead. You think it's worth it? I mean, this, I, I, I can tell you with unshakable certainty that it is absolutely worth it. I, I think it's a part of it is a, is a kind of temperament. I, I just have zero toleration for, for bullshit, like zero. But the other part is it comes down to personal integrity. I cannot give lip service to a deranged ideology. I just am incapable of it. And I cannot stand by while there's witch hunts and and seeing the things that I, I truly do cherish, what enlightenment values, Western civilization. I just cannot stand by while a bunch of deranged maniacs try to rip the whole thing down and offer nothing in its place. Nothing. So for me it was a question of keeping my integrity, of maintaining my integrity uh, and, and I guess I'm kind of an intellectual pugilist, you know, like I wanted to fight back. I wanted to, to, to use this. So listen, this is one of the things I have to say if someone's l- listening to this. And, and this took me a very, very long time to figure out. And it's also a hard pill to swallow. There are some people who have absolutely nothing to contribute to a conversation. Nothing. Zero. In fact, listening to them is actually a bad thing. So if, <laughs> if, 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 if I don't know how to fly a plane or if you don't know how to fly a plane, right? Why would you listen to somebody giving you, if you wouldn't listen to their advice, you wouldn't 
listen to their criticism. So, so that's the, I think everybody kind of harbors this notion. Oh, you know, maybe I'm wrong. And that's a good notion to har, that's a good notion to have because you always want to correct your beliefs and figure out what's true. But there are some people who have nothing of substance and meaningful to contribute to anything. So once you understand that, you can just completely ignore anything they have to say. Because analogously, again, they don't know how to fly a plane. So why should you listen to them? Yeah, I mean, often the philosophy, your subject, is is given a bit of a free pass on that that front because totally, you know, we we assume that all philosophies are equal, or at least they deserve an airing. They're not. I mean, like no, the Taliban should not be on the Women's Rights Council. The Iranians were trying right. to take. They should I not mean, be. There are some people Christopher Hitchens once said, and it got him into huge trouble back then before there was cancel culture or any of this stuff. And I remember thinking, well, that's a fairly profound thing to say. He used to say that the terminus of banal multiculturalism is a point where nothing has any value and we may as well not invest any time or effort in things like civilization. And that's a very profound thing to say. And what it essentially means is that, all cultures are not equal and that some cultures have proven to withstand the rigors of time and of, of many different political, social, economic movements. And that those should be regarded with some, even if it's not respect, at least some intellectual humility Yeah, from, so, from, from the point of view of modern philosophy. Yeah. So, so that's part of the problem. You cannot be both a relativist and a multiculturalist. I mean, uh, so, and an egalitarian, you cannot say that all cultures are, are, are relative and that all cultures are equal because in order to say all cultures are equal, there has to be a standard by which you hold them to. So p- right. part of that, it, you said your audience can take it. So I'll give you some yeah, kind yeah, of deep. Go, so, go, go, go. Okay. So if you can't be both egalitarian and relativist, one of the advantages that people who participate in the this ideology have, the woke ideology, is they don't have to do what you and I have to do and, and what people for thousands of years – you've asked me if there's ever been his, an historical break from this before. Like they don't have to abide by the rule of non-contradiction. They don't have to – all they can do is – what they do is they just resort to their personal experience, their lived experience. So they don't have to do the intellectual work to figure out an argument to rebut it because they believe that arguments themselves embedded within the argument is a way for privilege to preserve itself. So they, so, so they, 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 they have, then they have a very powerful weapon on their side in that they, yes. they can adopt this point of view and never have to correct do, do any heavy lifting. So it's, it is, ultimately a yes. kind of intellectual laziness and bankruptcy as well. Yeah. yeah, it, it, It's even worse than that because if, if you are lazy, that's fine. It's a way for the ideology to prevent itself from being dislodged because it can instantly, anytime a challenge comes in. So it's kind of like, again, back to the religion thing. It's kind of like, Oh, the devil made me, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's from the devil. Don't listen to it. Doubt your doubts. It's a, <laughs> a famous quote from, from the head of the Mormon church. Um, so the idea that we can exempt ourselves from the tools that we use to figure out problems because those tools themselves from Aubrey Lord, the master's tools cannot disable the master's house. Those tools themselves 
are responsible for racism and patriarchy and oppression. So we can't use those. We have to use something else. Like we have to li- listen to the lived experience of people who have been historically oppressed. Right. So they have not only a different worldview and framework, but even people who have a different worldview and thinking in this country, like the far right and the far left, even these people, unless you go super far, uh, they they agree on, for example, that you can look at data to figure out whether or not trickle down economics is good for poor people or. But we're now dealing with a different problem of a class of people who exempt themselves from the tools of reasoning and discerning judgment and to use a big word, even even language. I mean, historical oppression. Let's just take those two words. Mm -hmm. There is not even agreement between people inside of wokeism about what is actually historical because that, you know, many of them will say, well, history is actually a completely subjective thing and history is only written by the victors. So we don't know the true history plus history is written by men or whatever else. So therefore we can just completely disregard it. Right. And oppression to them only works in one direction. Right. I mean, they, this is where, you know, famously people like Don Lemon have found themselves speechless when somebody who is well-versed in history, like, you know, particularly the history of slavery, for example, and then they tell him what actually happened during the North Atlantic slave trade and how that came to an end and who it was who put it to an end and how it was all done and who still continues to trade in slaves today. And then someone like Don Lemon, who's definitely a, a, a product of the left, finds himself in a situation where he suddenly has to right. accept publicly on his live TV show. I heard that interview. Yeah. And he may have it wrong. Uh, I'm seeing more and more of this now. And, and I wanted to. Yes. Fast forward quickly to to what's happening on Twitter at the moment, because just yesterday, it's amazing, uh, again, Elon Musk, who's having, I, I think he's having the most fun he's ever. I had love the life. man. I think he's fantastic. Well, at least then South Africa can make up for um, what we started with. With roads must fall by hopefully having you know one of our own sons try to purify things a little bit, uh, yeah. or at least b- bring things out into the light. I wouldn't consider him any kind of messianic character, but to put $44 billion of your own money into something which you don't immediately see a profit mechanism for is one of the most altruistic things. It makes Bill Gates and Warren Buffett look like small fry in the world of philanthropy. But we digress. This guy is arguing things like pronouns and and i mean he's going he's going right into the heart and soul of this beast he's he's saying you know <laughs> prosecute fauci for example as, right. as his pronoun this is and obviously the part of that that really offended people was the pronoun part not the fauci right. <laughs> um, i want to know what you what you think of what's going on here and whether you think this is going to be a a first real strike from the other side well, you know, people like you have been laboring hard in the background. This is, this is at a level that you and I could, we, we couldn't affect Correct. the discourse at, even if we tried our hardest. We've been, we've been doing that already, but this guy has just picked up the biggest sword of all. Their own, their favorite plaything, the left's favorite plaything. And he has now completely removed their authority over it, which is driving them crazy. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, this is so interesting. And if you're not on Twitter, you should totally jump on Twitter because it's a whole world. I've, I found that Twitter, Twitter has become fun again. So one of the things that you see, and it's interesting, I think in the last month, my follower count, I don't know, I don't really keep too close of a track to it, although I have since Elon Musk took over. So 
it's gone up like 5,000. I think you're at like 2 million or something. Isn't that? I, you know, I, I must be honest with you. I, I have not logged on. I, I'm going to go and check after this interview. I'm not going to try and get in now. I can't even remember my password, but it's possible. I think everybody kind of on the non-woke left side of things has probably seen a major boost in their following, not because of any artificial skullduggery, but because that was always going on and it was, it was being hidden. Co- co- correct. And, and they would go before Congress and they say, we're not shadow banning. We're not, you know, de-boosting. Yeah. And they were the, okay, that's the other thing. I, I'm trying to think of how to say this without saying these people, but I can't seem to, these people are pathological liars. Like they're, they're the reward center in their brain. I'm telling you, this is an undiagnosed mental disorder. We, we don't have a name for it yet. These people are pathological liars. So to the extent that they would perjure themselves, think about that. Yep. Okay. So, one of the things that you see happening on Twitter is, and this gets back to what I said before, many woke people are just getting off of Twitter. They're quitting Twitter. My speculation, my hypothesis is that the reason that they're getting off of Twitter is not because they think this is going to be some kind of a racist thing or anything. It's because their arguments cannot sustain criticism. Well, they, it's the same, it's the same reason they won't have a debate with you. One hundred percent, yes. Or, or, with, or with with people like, um, you know, let's just Douglas a, or uh, Douglas Murray, uh, Ben Shapiro, Andrew Doyle, right? They won't argue with these people because right. they, oh, they 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 will argue with Ben. They will argue with Ben because Ben has, and I blurbed his last book. I love Ben. I think he's he's great. I'm going to be on a show in Florida. Um, his the authoritarian impulse was a great book, by the way. They'll argue mm. with him because he has some chinks in his armor, not intellectual chinks in his armor, but there are people who are kind of specialists like myself in this woke stuff, and I'm not beholden to another set of values. So Ben is an Orthodox Jew. I'm a Correct. total they will, atheist. They will, they will use that against him. But, Correct. But to, to get back to the discussion, so so Elon is – is upsetting them more than anything you and I could have done. Right. Now think about this. Here's the guy they should love electric cars and the whole ESG thing. I don't want to talk about, but you know, uh, now Uh. people saying, well, I won't buy Tesla and, and I won't. Okay. So listen, this is what happens. You never never cared about the environment anyway. Did you? That wasn't (laughs) wasn't, the environment was just a cudgel to use against your hundred percent and ideological enemies. You didn't care about that stuff. And we can now see through you. Yeah. And, and why, why just think, I mean, it's so crazy. Think about the fact that people, okay. To really understand this, the fact that people are upset that there's a platform that allows for free speech, open inquiry, dialogue, discourse. And yeah, there's going to be some nastiness that comes along with it. Absolutely. Nobody's denying that, but just think about the mindset. What belief would one have to hold to think that's a bad thing? The belief that you would have to hold is to think that there's something inherent in speech itself that's bad. And that's the belief they hold. And well, that is the undermining. Already, we crossed that bridge at the beginning of this discussion when we decided between us that we it was fairly evident to anyone who was looking that they don't appreciate definition and words and meaning. Correct. So it's all a plaything to them. And therefore, why would they care about you know the the 
the, the value of free speech if speech itself is just a another tool in the arsenal. Correct. So, so as you, as you've not pointed out directly, but we can infer a reasonable person can infer from this conversation. And I think Elon Musk actually tweeted out something like, and I retweeted it, you know, wokeism is, is just the problem. It's the problem that we have to get rid of. I, we should pull up the, 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 the tweet, the quotation and put it in there. Um, and I think that that's correct. I, I think that there are other problems that are significant, but wokeism, very significant, but wokeism is preventing us from addressing those problems because it's removing the tools that we need to figure out what's true. And instead it's substituting the feelings of people who have no expertise in the subject matter whatsoever. So, so it's making every problem that we face communally impossible. And when you take words like gang out and put in group, we can't even identify what the problem is. We can't say, well, there's a gang member. He's having a funeral. And well, how do the police know if they should go to the funeral of a group member? Yeah, exactly. We're actually making everything harder for everyone in society. How about this? How about this obsession? And it seems to me like there is a huge undersupply of racism, which we should be very grateful of in the yeah. world today. We should be grateful that we live at a time where it is extremely hard to find real world direct examples of people being overtly racist. We, Correct. That is a huge achievement of the modern West and something which, despite all of the, the sins of slavery, which are not unique to the West, all of the sins of racism and racial discrimination, which you can argue were better or worse in the West, but happened all over the world. Right. Um, even within communities of color, to put, to use the terminology that is so often used by, by people who argue this, um, that in some way we should take stock of how good things are. But it seems that this unquenchable thirst for racism, mm -hmm. which is really the one that they're most hungry for, because, you know, the trance thing is, it's kind of still s somewhat new. Mm. Um, I don't think you're going to find any self-respecting person who will attempt to defend slavery or racism in the, in the modern world. Uh, if they do, they'll very quickly pay a very heavy price for that, which in itself solves the problem. But there is this unquenchable thirst to the point where you have people making up just total hoaxes. Right. Yeah, well, Wilfred Riley has a book uh, about that, Hate, Hate Crimes Hoax. It's a wonderful book that's eye-opening. So many of these uh, you know, racial hate, quote-unquote, hate crimes, they're just hoaxes by people of that race or people of that particular sexual orientation. And the, the, there's overwhelming evidence from, from Steven Pinker and Michael Sherman and others that the moral arc is bending towards justice. You know, the, the racism, for example, the, the hammer blows of modernity are just beating that down. So um, it, it's, an, it's a wonderful it, – it, so just a, a break from this. So when you haven't – when you make an excuse for yourself not to do intellectual work and figure stuff out – one of the things that you can exempt yourself from is understanding history. The moral arc is bending towards justice. And you mentioned Douglas Murray is a friend of mine. You know, D Douglas Murray has said, um, um, we have a Nazi problem. There are not enough Nazis, so we have to make them up. 
you know, I, I put a tweet out a year, a year ago. We should only use the word Nazi for National Socialist. And people went fucking crazy. I mean, it was insane. Now, look at the consequence of this. Now in Ukraine, for example, uh, Putin is saying the initial reason for the war was, well, there are a bunch of Nazis over there. We've got to denazify Ukraine. So it's just an example of what happens when you, you play fast and loose with language. You, you give people an excuse to do bad things. But you're right. The, the, um, among other things, but you're right. The, the, this is one of the, the things that we see right now in the world. So there's an, there's an insatiable thirst also for, for people to get offended. And, and 100%. I wonder. When someone writes the story of our generation, the generations that are alive now in yeah. 2022, I wonder what they'll say about our moral maturity that we were so quick to anger for, 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 for a civilized modern society. And, and, you know, there are some countries that have behaved themselves far better than the United States yeah. or oh, in yeah, South sure. Africa. So I, I'm, I'm not here is, here is for me no equivocation. Uh, whatsoever it, it appears fairly obvious that there are there are huge groups of people whose entire purpose from their waking moment until the going to sleep at night is 100%. to be upset and outraged by things that either do not affect them at all or affect them so indirectly that it is more than the six steps of kevin bacon or whatever else you want to call it yeah yeah they would have a better time arguing in a language they had never spoken before in their life. Yeah. Okay. So sometimes I feel you and I are the same person. I'm just an older version of you. Um, I, <laughs> so I, I got back. Is, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I came, I came, I came back from two months in Eastern Europe. I lived in Hungary and uh, I did f filming in Romania and Hungary. And I did this thing on my, my YouTube channel. It's, Peter Bogosian, Dr. Peter Bogosian or something, um, where I set up lines of tape on a street. I don't know if you've seen this, but these are really interesting. I, they're called Spectrum Street Epistemology. It's basically epistemology taking what you know, and I'm answering your, your comment directly, taking what you know and asking people if they're justified in what they believe and then m having them move to a line. So strongly agree, agree slightly agree, neutral, and the other side. And so then you would ask people a series of questions, et cetera. And one of the things that I noticed from doing this, I don't even know how many times we're going to release these videos in January, is that nobody in – and I was literally standing on a street corner interviewing anybody who would come come by playing this, this thought experiment with this, this thought game. There was not a single person – in all of Hungary or Romania and the places where I, I was, who was looking for a reason to be offended. Nobody was outraged at anything anybody said. But if you watch my videos on college campuses, people are insane. They go, they're all, they're seeking. They're so nasty. And that's the other thing. This ideology bundles itself up. Oh, we care about people. This, no. Uh, and just, while I'm on the thought, one of the things that you notice about people who are deep in this ideology is they all have the same voice. They speak in a kind of saccharine way that's concealing a vicious nastiness. If you yeah, watch the, the, the like uh, 
uh, latent resentment. And it seems that's why they have to go up at the end of every sentence. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They're trying to lift their own spirit to not sound quite as curmudgeonly as their spirit must actually be. Yeah, it's it's, and it's and like a cult. And they're humorless. They are, and that to me is the part. I mean, you're a, you're an academic. You're a man of letters. You're, you're, the, you're this prolific author and this big thinker. I'm much more attracted to the idea of just having fun conversations where people can laugh yeah, yeah. and be, you never have fun conversations with these guys. They don't have a sense of humor at all. Yeah, that's why they were so pissed off about the, the grievance studies hoax, you know, mm -hmm. about the dog rape and all that stuff. That's why they were so enraged about that because it was, it was funny and it drove a heart through their ideology. But it was interesting when I, when I was asking, asking people these questions in Eastern Europe, and I'm, I'm going to do this in Puerto Rico and Australia in the coming months, but oh, yeah? I was just really interested in how people, how considered they were. It was just as if I had walked into a different world. And I want to say, you know, I, I read and blurb Constantine Kisson's book, uh, A Love Letter to America, which is wonderful. And in that book, he talked about where he grew up in the Soviet Union. Um, yeah, I he's, was, he's the, uh, he had to listen to one or two of his podcasts. He's in the, the trigonometry UK. guy. Yeah. yeah he's a right. super, he's a super good guy. He's become a friend of mine. Yeah. Um, Every, you know, it's, it's just like actors. You're always wondering, like, how do these actors know all these other actors? It's because they're in the same, like, I'm in the same, this no. is what I do. That's how I know all these people. But, you know, one of the things that the United States is exporting right now is I was a huge, a massive believer up until very recently that we had to export American values, equality under the law, uh, Miranda rights. Uh, freedom of the press, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly. But now the values that we're exporting, and I just wrote the forward to Majiv Rohultra's book, uh, Snakes in the Ganga. This book is truly unbelievable. It's an 864-page tome about how the United States exports wokeism as a neo-colonial export that that colonizes Indian Indianism. Right. And yeah. th this guy, this guy is a tremendous, uh, holy shit, champion of, of, of Indian culture and tradition. Dude, one this guy is on another level. Of, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, he is on another level. Like, holy shit. I mean, he is, he, <laughs> like, I know, like, truly at this point, I can say I know some of the smartest people in the English speaking world. This guy is a, he's so wise. That's the perfect word. But anyway, but this is, these are the what values. You, huh? he's, he's got a problem. And, and Constantine is, is saying that America used to be a place. I think I'm, I'm certainly not trying to short circuit this, but I just, to, so I understand it. America used to be a place that exported good ideas, ideas that were humanitarian, that were based on, you know, enlightenment ideals, perhaps um, that were for the good of all humanity that sought to bring a, a measure of fairness to the world. And, and that now, it's suddenly become about America exporting the extreme views of the far left by forcing, you know, the embassy in a place where there are no gay rights whatsoever to fly right. the trans flag. I mean, it's, it's just not going to fly. Right. Right. Well, he, he's claiming like his love letter was a love letter to America about 20 years ago. And I'm mm -hmm. claiming every single thing you just said, you know, I'm, I'm, it's really a, um, it's heartbreaking. It, it's, it's just, it's just heartbreaking and it's not the left values that we're exporting. It's woke values. That's what we've, we've become the world's predominant 
exporter of woke values. And the way we've done it in a number of ways, but one of the ways that we've done it is through language, which we've just talked about. I wrote a, just published a piece on November 8th and spiked explaining how woke, uh, for woke to work to, to have this kind of mimetic penetration into people's belief system and who speak different languages, it needs to be in English because when you, Every woke word has a different meaning, has multiple meanings, or almost everyone, if I can think of one that doesn't, but they have multiple meanings. But the problem is that those words only translate into the primary meaning. So diversity, for example, it, we traffic in, you know, or inclusion, everybody should be included, you know, different races, heights. I mean, of course, but inclusion actually means to restrict speech someplace so that people feel welcome. But the secondary definition doesn't translate into whatever language it is. So that's one of the things that they do. What you see, no matter where you go, is that, uh, and even in India, there are videos of the head of the Supreme Court peppering his language with woke terminology. Woke ter- Wokeism has a way to work its way in when people, particularly young people, speak in their language but use woke words. So they'll be speaking and then boom, there's a woke word. Boom, there's a woke word. And they do that because the secondary meaning doesn't translate. Only the primary meaning translates. Was that clear? I, I get you. Yeah, I get you. I, I think, you know, you've, you've just mentioned that street epistemology thing, which I think is so interesting um, because you're getting this considered opinion from some people and other people, you just have a reflexive opinion. Um, and And it's funny that, you know, if you mention countries like, Hungary, people will go, oh, well, that's just because you're a right winger. I mean, just so everyone is clear, <laughs> your political credentials are far more on the left than on the right. Your, your own, you would describe yourself, <laughs> I suppose, as a liberal, right? Yeah. And, and just because I'm against bullshit, like just because I'm against wokeism, that doesn't mean that I'm on the right. Correct. But unfortunately, from, from their point of view, Correct. That is the best way to undermine your argument is to say, oh, but not just from the right, far right. Uh, alt right, far right. Correct. This is what has driven people like you and I together across continents. It's, it's open a hundred percent between you and people in the UK and in Sweden and in Australia and all across the United States. It's not as if we came together in order to, you know, in some coerced concerted way, put up a fight. It's, it's like we were driven into places where there were only a few of us willing, willing to have these conversations. So we met each other. Correct. And, and that's again, what I to echo what I said before. That's just simply why you, you can't listen to them because the, it, you know, you're not a Nazi. I know I'm not a Nazi. In fact, even if you extend the semantic range of Nazi to mean like very bad racist person who hates Jews, I, I, I that's insane. So why? There's just no, they have nothing. There's no point to listen to them. If they want to make a substantive intellectual critique or, I don't know, right? So, so that's the other thing that's, that's, that's really interesting and how the rules of the game have changed. Before, if somebody wrote something that you didn't like in academia, well, what you would do is you would write a counter to that. And, right. you know, doesn't have to be in the same venue, the same periodical, the same journal, but usually it is. But OK, you want to write another one. That's fine. But now we don't do that anymore. Someone writes a letter that or, or pens a peer reviewed article or journal or something that you don't like. Instead of countering those arguments, you smear them. 
You bring them up on charges is what happened to my colleague at Portland State University, Bruce Gilley. He's the guy who wrote the famous paper, The Case for Colonialism. And so we're operating with people, again, who have a different rule set. And the rule set is weaponize offices of diversity, equity, inclusion. Go on social media and have uh, go crazy on social media. And that's the other thing with Elon Musk buying that is they can no longer – the, the the problem with people like Trump, et cetera, being kicked off of Twitter was not because of anything he said or what have you. It's that the rules were not applied equally. The, Correct. And we see that with Matt people, Taibbi, Barry Weiss, Michael Schellenberger. I'm sorry, go ahead. People are constantly telling us that they're egalitarian. They seem to want the rules applied very, very differently to their ideological enemies. Um, and they do see... They let, make no mistake. They see us as their enemies. Oh, which, no, which, no, which, no, ex, not, not only enemies, existential is, threats. You and I are our right. biggest fault. The reason that we have not been winning this argument in so many places is because we have not acknowledged that these people are our intellectual and ideological enemies. We've tried to be, we've tried to treat them like reasonable friends instead of like ideological enemies, which is what they've always seen us as. Yeah, they've seen us as existential threats. But the other reason that we're not losing is because we've brought the wrong tools. I mean, excuse me. The other, thank you. The other reason we're not w winning is because we've brought the wrong tools. It's like we bring a chessboard to a football game. Mm -hmm. we, we, we are attempting to use reason, argument, dialogue, discourse with people who don't believe in any of these things. So, so for them, so it's all about power and power relations. So where you have a real edge here, and this is one of my favorite things to do with someone who is a specialist in your way. You've written this book, How to Have Impossible Conversations. Correct. Are there impossible there, – there are conversations that are so difficult to have with people like you know, your ideological enemies, the people who consider you an existential threat. There are some situations where it's just not – for example, if they throw you know, Nazi accusations at you, you, you can't really even – muddy yourself by having a retort to that there isn't something that you can say that would be reasonable by 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 attempting to have the discussion with someone who has called you something like that you almost give them too much credit than they're due no no the right not, thing to do might be to walk away or how do you deal with that no 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 not not at all th th those are actually easy conversations <laughs> they're very easy you know when i taught in the prisons did my dissertation in the prisons uh the the I was never worried about a prisoner saying fuck you to me or uh, you can have a conversation with anybody provided one thing. And this is a secret. This is a big secret. It, as long as they say something back to you, you're good to go. I can give you the tools to, to navigate that conversation. <clears throat> Excuse me. The problem is when people don't respond to you. The problem is when people won't engage you. That's an impossible conversation. But as long as someone is willing to engage you, they can call you a Nazi, you can call you anything you want. There's just a template that you follow that we've pulled from multiple domains of thought, various lines of literature. It's not magic. It's not, a you know, these are not the drones you're looking for. It's not, there's nothing mystical or Jedi mind trick about it. It's just drawing from the literature to show you know, it, using the Socratic method as a base, <clears throat> but there's nothing, there's nothing magical, but you can totally have a conversation with a woke person. The problem is that woke people don't want to have conversations with you. That's the problem. 
I'm very aware of how precious your time is, so I don't want to, you know, strong arm you into staying here longer than. No, I'll you stay. It's all it truly. It genuinely is always a pleasure to talk to you. Truly. What's What's on your agenda in the next stage of this battle? Because you don't sound to me like you're any kind of fading flower. And no, with with the the, the <clears throat> wind at at our backs and Twitter being finally opened up to. And listen, we're prepared to lose arguments, right? I mean, you and I, I don't think, I don't want to speak for you, but I don't think I have any problem with arguing with anybody and being proven wrong. I think it would be great for people to take me on in whatever I've said, and and I've said lots of things. I'm sure you feel the same way. But with all of this happening now, where, where at least the playing field seems to be leveling out a little bit, on Twitter anyway, we, don't, yeah. we can't speak for <clears throat> yeah. What is your next move? Well, just on what you said before, in the Gorgias, Plato says that it is better to be refuted than to refute. He says that's the greater gain of the two. Socrates says that. So I, I, I have no problem with being wrong. In fact, it, it's good because I don't want to be wrong one more second than I have to be, to bar- borrow just a quotation. Explain to me what you think it means that it is better to be refuted than to oh. refute. Oh, it just means if, if you engage someone in a conversation or even a debate, I'm not a fan of debates, but a conversation. And, mm-hmm. uh, if, if you, you can refute them, in other words, you can show them that something that they believe to be true is actually not true, or they could mm-hmm. do it to you. It's always better if they do it to you, because if they do it to you, then you can rid yourself of a false belief. I, I want to rid, I want to have as many true false beliefs as possible, but even more important than having true beliefs is to have as few false beliefs as possible. It is far more important to have fewer false beliefs than it is to have more true beliefs. Right. Uh, it's, yeah. you, you, you see why I needed clarity on that is because you, you've explained it better than any, anyone else could. Oh, I, 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 I love it. that. So, so what is next? Oh, okay. So, I, whew, I have such an, <laughs> such an ambitious year. I'm just hoping my Crohn's disease doesn't kick in because I have a very ambitious year. So I'm going to go around uh, the world and I'm going to do these street epistemology, spectrum street epistemology videos where I'm going to ask, you know, when I was in uh, Eastern Europe, I would ask people, is it better to be ruled by the United States or Russia? And put them on the lines, ask them various questions, and the results were fascinating. And some of the things that people believe is the United States a force for good and all kinds of questions about everything so i'm going to go to puerto rico uh i have a a a stint in um australia in sydney i'm going to be a visiting uh, professor there for a few few weeks or a month um i'm going back i'm a founding faculty fellow at the university of austin so i'm going to go there and teach i'm so close to finishing my manuscript my my manuscript is about a young socrates who roams the ancient Greek countryside and uh, speaks to magical creatures, uh, etc. And he foments this uh, rebellion against the gods, all the while dealing with his anxiety, his ex- extreme anxiety. So it's uh, so I'm, right. you know, he has impossible conversations with people, people and creatures. So I'm I'm working on that. And then my <clears throat> my next two targets. This is the first time I've said this. So here here you go. <laughs> my next two. My last target was uh, something called NPR, which is the extraordinarily woke uh, news organization, very, very prestigious news organization here in the United States. I guess the analog would be the BBC in the UK, UK. or AB, ABC in Australia. Um, 
So I'm I'm going after Wikipedia, which is which is a a minor thing, and then one of my flagship projects is I'm I'm going after the wellspring, the source, the nucleation point of the insanity, which is colleges, colleges of education, teacher training programs, because this is the vehicle by which the ideology replicates. And so I'm going do you have, to do you have any idea why, you know, like I asked you about oh, the, the college educated white women. Why do you think it is that the, 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 the institutions of higher learning have become the, the, the nucleus of, of this whole movement? Oh, that's an easy question to, to answer. Unlike your last, like your last one, I had no idea. Um, it's because they are, and actually uh, James Lindsay from new discourses has done some wonderful work on this. I've written about this too. It's because the, the um, purpose of education has changed the purpose of education in virtually every college. Okay. Let's take a step back. If you want to, if one wants to teach in, at least in this country, I can't say about South Africa, but in the United States, if one wants to teach in K through 12 kindergarten through 12th grade, you need a teaching certificate. You can't just walk in there because you've published a lot or you have a PhD or anything. No, you need a teaching certificate. You get teaching certificates from colleges of education. Colleges of education have changed the purpose. Their purpose, they're predicated upon one book. Paulo Freire uh, was a Brazilian educator, uh, The Pedagogy of the Oppressed. He, he, he uh, written subsequent books on uh, 1985, that was 72, 1985. But anyway, it's all predicated upon teaching to free people from oppression, right? So when you understand this, that the purpose of education is to liberate, to develop a critical consciousness, a consciousness of things. When you understand this, you understand, you know, I don't know if you saw that video of the teacher bragging that they're passing out butt plugs to 14-year-olds and drag shows for, for children. Yeah, it's uh, or a high school. Yeah, that's right. And the principal subsequently posted a, a posted on social media that they support him, et cetera, et cetera. But when you understand that the purpose of education is not to give people tools to enable them to find a, the truth, these folks believe they already have the truth. They believe it's in liberation, uh, liberation from oppression. And the way that you do that is you use critical theory. You develop a critical consciousness. So this is happening in teacher training programs and all of these people are the people who graduate are indoctrinated in the ideology. And then they go through K through 12 and they teach our kids that they teach children that. So, mm. and I see this with my daughter's curriculum constantly. It's, it's, it's infused in the whole curriculum. There, there's no, here's the other point. Careful can consider this carefully, but undermining this all. And this is a really important point that almost nobody talks about undermining this all is the idea that there are certain truths about reality based upon race and and it used to be social class of the old left but they've bartered that now for other identity factors identity politics and if you don't believe a certain thing you're not just wrong but you're a bad person so this isn't a, this is really an attempt they wouldn't say this but this is an attempt to rob people of their cognitive liberty for example, I've mentioned repeatedly in this podcast that I'm an atheist. Uh, I do not think that there is sufficient evidence to warrant belief in a God of gods. But if I were given that evidence, I will believe. I would believe. Now, with that being said, many people uh, uh, hold 
in fact, I'm in the minority. You and I are in the minority on this belief. If you look at uh, at a global scale, I believe that people have a right to believe anything that they want. I have no desire whatsoever to, you know, for example, yeah, that that's not. This is not. Everybody should have the right to freedom of conscience, freedom of conscience, a, a right to live their lives in the way that they see fit, um, hmm. and. We have a movement starting, perpetuating itself in college of education that want to rob people of their cognitive liberty. And based upon what you said before, that's one of the reasons that Christians are so supportive of us in this, because we, this is a battle about liberty. That's why those terms, right and left, are really no longer applicable. This is about people who are authoritarian or not authoritarian. This is about people who want to give people liberty and who don't who, who want to rob people of liberty. And one of the ways that this perpetuates itself is in colleges of education. It's in teacher training programs. And we have to undermine their legitimacy. I mean, they're doing it to themselves, but we, we have to go after these things and expose the problem. I have a great video on my a channel from Dr. Lyle Asher, who explains this in great detail. You, you have a lot of work ahead of you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're on, losing. Yeah, on, we're losing, but on, the tide is turning. Yeah. You're taking on Wikipedia. You're taking on colleges and, and teachers training. I mean, this is just a, this is a big deal. Uh, all the strength to you, my friend. I, I can't imagine a more worthy cause. You know, well, if, you, thanks. If, you go, a... if you go down in flames, this will be a hell of a thing to go down in flames. <laughs> Thanks. It's a good thing to be 56. I'm 56. I'm not really, I'm not beholden to anybody, you know, like people used to try to, I used to have just a truly unbelievable amount of stress and grief and anxiety in my life. Uh, all constantly complaining about me filing false complaints. I've been investigated for everything. All these invested multiple investigations. I don't even know how much money they spent. You know what they found? Nothing, nothing, because there was nothing to find. It was a fucking witch hunt. But now <clears throat> I don't have to worry about every time someone sends, sends me an angry letter, I sent them the, the email to the Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Portland State, and they say, why don't you complain, complain in, a, in as much detail as you want to them? In other words, fuck you. So um, <laughs> if, if you want to participate in it, I've enjoy, I, I welcome everybody to, to join, to join, you know, this is a nonprofit thing. You can, we can win this. And, you know, you, you're right. Musk has bought Twitter. That's changing. People are not afraid to speak up anymore. Almost everybody realizes that this is a deranged ideology. Almost everybody who's not caught in the wake of it. So now the thing is we have to, we, we have to fight back. We have to fight back. And don't worry about not fighting back. You're going to lose your friends or what have you. Your friends will respect you more, not less, if you speak openly and honestly to them. And if they don't, those friendships were not friendships of virtue, and they're not what, worth keeping. And don't apologize. Never. Never. Never, never give an inch to not, these lunatics. Nothing. Zero. I, um, I can't really end on a better note than that, so I think that's a perfect place to wrap it up. Peter Bogosian, it's such a pleasure to speak to you. The and honor is mine. Again, I'm delighted to have a bit of your time and your, your excellent brain. It, it's like food for the um <laughs> thank you the soul. it's listen keep doing the good work um i i hope you have a wonderful christmas and new year and thank let's you. let's uh get together in the new year and and start again i would love that thank you so much for having me on it's always a pleasure great to see you thank you cliffcentral.com